Amen. Okay, let's uh, start finding our seats this morning. We're going to get started. I'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to go there this morning, Luke chapter 9. Thank you, Devin. Hot off the press. Okay, let's get a few scriptures. Um, Brian, why don't you get Luke 9, 57 to 62. Tony, get for me Luke 9, 57. Uh, Johnny, Acts 9, 6. <clears throat> I.L., can you get Luke 59? The other Brian, not this Brian, but the other Brian. Luke 9, 61. Trevor, Luke 9, 60. Um, and then we'll do Will. Can you get Luke 10, 1 and 2? Okay. I wanted to do a lesson, just kind of a, um, a follow-up after conference. Conference can, can do a lot of things in the hearts of men. One of them in particularly is uh, challenge us to either start doing certain things or stop doing certain things. But one of the realities of of a conference, especially after a conference passes, is that feeling starts to pass as well. And so the question is, what did God challenge you to do? How did God speak to you? What's changed in your life since conference? And what sort of things are you implementing? Or how are you responding? You know, how we respond to the call of Jesus Christ is critically important. And the problem with many men is we can say yes to Jesus' call, but never follow through. It's interesting about this scripture um, that we're going to read. It's not a parable. In other words, it's not Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like certain men. This was an actual story, actual men, and their response to Jesus' call. And um, and I want to just do a simple lesson entitled Starting with Yes out of Luke 9, 57 to 62. Go ahead, read that. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have air, have the air of his nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, starting with yes, I want to look firstly with you at the great invitation. Salvation is an invitation to a purpose. Luke 9, 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. So when you get saved, that impacts more than just you. It's more than just your life has changed, but life becomes larger than yourself after salvation. Acts 9, verse 6. So So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city you will be told what you must do. So how foundational that is for for Paul, his conversion experience led him to saying to Jesus, 
What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I was ordering my life in a certain way, but now that I've had this encounter with you, everything changes. Everything's different. And so an encounter with Jesus and salvation is a surrender of our plans and our will. Oh, but I've got, I've got goals. I've got a bucket list. I've got these things that I want to do. I've got these things that I want to accomplish. Lord, what do you want me to do? And for some of us, that's what this conference was all about. It was, I'm going in a certain direction. I'm doing a certain thing. You had an encounter with Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to do? There are men here that have heard the call. Maybe it wasn't this conference. Maybe it wasn't last conference. Maybe it was years ago. You felt the stirring and the call, and uh, you felt God wants you to preach the gospel someday. That's what the essence of these serious men classes, they're, they're, they're made up of, of two types of men. You have the men that feel called to preach and want to develop as a disciple, and you have men who are not sure of what they want to do, and they want God to speak to them. They want to find out. And those two camps are totally okay. There's nothing wrong. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, equipping, it follows calling. This is the old saying, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. And so there are things, uh, as a disciple, areas you're trying to work through, you're trying to discover what God wants, you're a fuller picture of, of what God's will is for your life. There's areas where you still need to work out. Areas where you're not complete yet. Areas where, God, you're still working on me. And Jesus knows this and wants to help you. But this is the essence of my lesson this morning. The starting point of calling is a willingness to say yes. That has to be the foundation. More important than the call is our response in saying yes. Because what difference would it make if God tells you to go to the... To the uh, outermost parts of the world and we say no thanks we have to have a willingness to say yes so let's look secondly then at saying no the reality of discipleship is there are men that are called to preach the gospel but say no number one we say no by delay this is the most common and the most deceptive Luke nine fifty nine. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus goes to a man and says, follow me. Right? That invitation. Come, follow me. And he says, let me first. He wasn't saying no. He wasn't flat out saying, no, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. He was just saying let me first. I have some things I need to take care of first. Luke 9.61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So then what delay looks like is we say yes to Jesus' call, but never follow through with action. And when we say not yet to the call of Christ, it takes away the sting of no, doesn't it? If you have children, and you ask them to do something, and they say, okay, 
And they start, maybe they, they're walking towards the objective, and then they get diverted and they start doing something else. It's like, what? I told you to, I told you to do that thing. I, I will, but just not yet. It takes that sting away. But really, if we're being honest, a yes without action is the same as a no. Luke 9, verse 60. He said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. So background of this text is Jesus is not heartless. It's not like this guy was on his way to a funeral. The culture of this time, this guy was probably the oldest child, and his responsibility was to the family after dad was dead. But dad had not died yet. It was, I got to wait around for dad to kick the bucket, deal with the family business, and then, and then I'll follow you. When things are right for me, then I'll follow you. When it's convenient for me, then I'll say yes. When I feel comfortable about it, when I feel like all these little things are in order and everything is just right, okay, then I'll, then I'll respond. So we say, number one, we say no by delay. Number two, we say no by distractions. There are other things that are more important than what you require from my life. This wasn't, this wasn't like Jesus is saying, look, you know, this is just one of many things that you could potentially do with the rest of your life. You could, you could do this. You could sell insurance. You could, you could do a lot of different things. Well, what if you come and follow me? Think about it. The God who created you came to you specifically and said, come follow me. That is profound. But you know, there will always be an alternative. And this is not a sin issue. We're not saying, no, I would, I would rather go sling black tar heroin, Jesus. I would rather go deal drugs. I would rather go rob a bank. I would rather go uh, uh, hang out in a brothel. That's what I'd rather do, Jesus. That's not what they're saying. It was simply a distraction. Jim Collins said, good is the enemy of the great. I've seen this before. If the enemy cannot derail your destiny with one great act of sin, he will settle for you simply to not make Jesus a priority. But think about this. In either case... It has the same effect. If a disciple backslides and goes and lives a life of sin and doesn't pursue the king of God in his life, or if a disciple simply says, I'd rather do something else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, right? Oh, I'm going to still be in ministry. I'm going to still serve. But ah, the calling thing, I just don't know. It has the same effect. Thirdly, we say no by carnality and flesh. So when we say no by delay, it opens the door to saying no to other areas of life. In other words, if a man is willing to say no to the call of God, it makes compromise and sin easy. So the consequences of saying no. Number one, saying no hurts other people. People who need the gospel are never reached. Think about this. There are people on their way to hell right now in a certain city or nation waiting for you to obey God. 
waiting for you to obey God and go and preach to them. When I um, had the opportunity to pre uh, preach for um, Chris Went, he's in uh, Kolkata, India, I met people who had never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. Ever. Like, it wasn't in their vocabulary. They didn't know anything about the gospel. Now, Chris and Sarah Went are a couple uh, in our fellowship out of the Prescott Church who have been in the ministry for years. They were both in their 70s, and they responded to the call. If he had never went, these people would have never heard the gospel. And so that's what's at stake. Saying no, it hurts other people. And not just, it, it's not just a theory. It's not just there's these vague people out there somewhere that are going to be affected by you not responding to the call of God. Saying no will damage your family. If you have felt called to preach, chances are your wife and kids will know about it. But think about what you are communicating to your family when you say no. You can tell God no to certain things, and that's telling your family that that's okay. Pastor Campbell said, your compromises today will become your children's convictions tomorrow. Kids, it's okay to say no to God in certain areas, but just not other areas. Well, how do they know the difference? So it damages relationships. Secondly, saying no damages your relationship with God. If the foundation of your relationship with Jesus Christ is not obedience when he speaks, then at some point he will stop speaking to you. There are some men who you went through this past conference and you heard absolutely nothing from God. And can I say, maybe it's because you've said no too many times in the past. You see, you will never grow in ministry unless you are willing to obey. Thirdly, saying no will bring discontentment in life. I want to declare to you guys, no matter how successful you are in business, no matter how much money you make, no matter how many toys you have, when Jesus has called you, nothing else in life will satisfy. And at the end of the day, you will have to answer to God for you to know. Because behind every no, an exchange has been made. I would rather fill in the blank than say yes to calling. But being called by Jesus Christ is the greatest honor and privilege you will ever have in life. And I would say even further than that, the fellowship that you have been planted into, the fact that we as men can rise up, pursue calling, and get launched out in a very short amount of time is an absolute anomaly to the rest of the Christian world. Oh, well, you've got to go to seminary for four to six years. Oh, you've got to do these internship programs. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. But think about, in our fellowship, a man hears from God, responds to calling, and is able to get launched out into the nations. That is incredible. What an opportunity. So let's look finally then at saying yes. <coughs> Read for me Luke 10, 1 and 2. 
After this, the Lord appointed 70 other disciples and was about to send them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place that he intended to go. So he instructed them, the harvest is vast and the workers are few, so ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. So a powerful truth here. We just read a story about men who said no. They delayed, they compromised, yeah. But then the very next story, it says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. The next event after that story, 70 men said yes. They obeyed God. They were able to be launched into the places. And here is the hope. You can say yes this morning. Maybe you've delayed. Maybe you've allowed carnality into your life. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you've, you've said no. Maybe it's, maybe it's been a burden. Maybe calling, it's like turning into a distant memory. But listen, these are all fixable problems. You can begin to say yes. Saying yes, it begins with a change in our own hearts. God, when you speak to me, I want to say yes. God, what you have called me to, I will say yes, no matter what, no matter how inadequate I feel, no matter how scared I am about it. God, what you have called me to, I will say yes. Thirdly, you won't be disappointed by saying yes. In the heart of every man at this and in this room, we want our lives to count. We want our lives to make impact. The worst thing would be living your life, dying an old, bald man, and nobody even knows who you are. Nobody's been impacted by your life one bit. That's not how I want to go out. And that's not how you should go out either. And what greater impact can we make in life than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? bringing the hope of salvation to people who've never heard it before. And God says, I want you to do that. So what does your yes look like? Yes, number one, it involves accountability. If you feel called to preach, tell your pastor. Pastor, I want to go on record that I feel called to preach. I want you to disciple me. I want you to speak into areas of my life. This is accountability. This takes it from just being something that's up in your own head to being something that's vocalized. This is what God said to me, and this is how I'm going to respond. So this is, this is powerful. Secondly, yes requires growing with other men. Help build another man's ministry. It's, it's interesting to me, <clears throat> the longer I'm in the fellowship, the more and more I see disciples and, and the reaction is, it's, in a lot of ways, the reactions today are the same as they were when I was first a disciple. Men can approach calling and ministry as being a mysterious thing. No idea how Pastor Greg and Pastor Jesse come to the, the conclusion about who's going to be the next guy. And it's like a few, few months or a few weeks building up to conference, everyone's looking around just kind of like, I, I have no idea. Who, who, could, who could it possibly be? But really, there's, there's not much mystery about it. We look at it as a discipleship ladder. Well, 
he's up here, and then it's him, and then it's him, and then me. So in about 57 years, I'll be next in line, and then, and then I'll be able to go out. But <laughs> you're not being honest. The men that rise and are sent out are the men who don't delay. They're the men who say yes. Yes, it also involves the basics. Now, when I say these things, I'm not trying to boil it down to a formula, but if we don't talk about the basics, then it's just this mysterious thing. So let's talk about the yes basics of discipleship. How about you wake up early and arrange your schedule to be at morning prayer? Because even beyond morning prayer, what happens directly after that is you have opportunities to ask your pastors questions about discipleship, about calling, about ministry, about serving, about God, about the Bible, anything you can think of. What an opportunity. For men who have never pioneered or pastored before, you have a chance to ask your pastors questions about that. There are men who have been in the ministry for years and still every single morning around this table, they'll ask questions. So that's one of the basics, morning prayer. Begin reading your Bible every day. Ask God for a spiritual hunger. Maybe put away some carnal appetites that you've been entertaining. Love what God loves. Cultivate a desire to be more like your past character and humility. When, you, when Paul, he, he says, uh, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that's discipleship. Be involved in evangelism, planning your own outreaches. I asked uh, Anthony the other day while, while he still had uh, the concert director phone, Devin was out of town, but I asked him, <clears throat> I said, from today to July, our next conference, how many outreaches are scheduled? These are outside of just regular Saturday morning outreach and the 180. So from today to July, we have three outreaches planned, two Saturday outreaches and one Friday outreach between now and July. So as disciples, what an opportunity. In a church like ours, we've got a box truck. We've got a, we've got a 16 foot wide LED trailer screen. You've got, you've got an army of people that will help you. This is, this is an incredible opportunity for you to be fruitful, to evangelize, to work with people. Finally, we need to work with new converts, getting people saved and added to the church. When you look at your life, look at, okay, if you're called to preach, you're called to pioneer a church someday, you're called to pastor a church someday. It's all about evangelism. It's all about working with people. It's all about cultivating a relationship with God. Those are all things you can start today. Those are all things you can do today. Be fruitful. Get people into the church. Start replacing yourself. Finally, destiny is within reach for each of us. The common phrase in our church is being sent out. <clears throat> it means a couple is launched into ministry. 
And as a disciple, even though you are still in Prescott, you should be living and ordering your life as if you were sent out. Who is in church today because of you? In the past five to ten years, show me your fruit. Who is involved in being raised up in ministry because your exampleship, because you inspired them? <clears throat> Secondly, when we keep saying yes to Jesus, small obedience over time adds to larger ministry opportunities. These 70 men that were ready to be sent out, they had ordered their lives in such a way that enabled them to go quickly. And how incredible, as soon as Jesus says, come follow me, they're ready. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes. And that's where it starts. Finally, take the initiative. Focus on what you can do today. Never mind what's going to happen five, ten years from now. Focus on today. Never mind the titles you don't have. Focus on today. Focus on starting with yes. God, whatever you want from my life, the answer will always be yes. And I'm going to follow through with that. That is starting with yes. Amen. We want to open it up now for just a time of questions. Something you'd like to ask. Maybe about discipleship or calling, pastoring. Just to open it up there. Any questions? Yeah, Phil. Um, did you say that after you've said yes to the initial call, that when God's developing you, that the things that He's working in your life, those also require yeses? Um, like, let's say, you know, if you say yes to the call initially, God's going to start to develop you, right? Um, but it, it, the pace of that is also dependent on you, right? Yeah, I mean, in some ways. But when we talk about pace and time frames, then we're talking about formulas. Because we want to know, okay, if I, if I add six yeses, three outreaches, uh, 12 men's discipleship classes, I've written 18 Bible study sermons, then it's there. Then I'm there. Then I've arrived, right? But it, that, that's, not, that's not how it works. Peter, he said, when, when Jesus is talking about another disciple, he says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, never mind him. If I want him to stay until I come back again, what's that to you? You do the will of God, yeah. right? So it's, it's a lot of consecutive yeses in a row. Because think about it, Phil. Saying yes, it doesn't stop after you go out to preach. You'll have to continue making those yes decisions. Every conference is a yes decision. God, whatever you want for my life, I will say yes. They just, you, you keep stacking those. Because small obedience, it always leads to larger ministry. And, and learn the lessons too. Like I want to grow. I want to develop. God, I want you to work on me. I don't want to be the same Phil. I don't want to be the same Stephen. I want to be different. I want, I want God to change me on the inside. But that is, that's, how, that's how it starts, is by having that posture of, I'm going to say yes, no matter what. Yeah, I was just looking internally, and like, if my 
if, I, if I'm not like satisfied <coughs> with my growth over a certain amount of time, I'm trying to wonder like, well, is it must be me? You know, must be not? Because God, I'm sure, can move pretty quickly in, a, in, a, in an individual. But I'm just trying to determine if that was all on me or what. Yeah, I mean, learn the lesson. Where 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 are you spiritually today that you weren't six months ago? And sometimes we can be we can be pretty hard on ourselves, though, Phil. And you know that's this is this is an incredible opportunity, and it's an incredible process. More is happening inside of you in discipleship than you realize. And and sometimes if we feel like I should be here but I'm not, and I. I should be developed more, but I'm not. And I should be out now, but I'm not. And then, then you begin to drive yourself crazy. And that, that's not the point of discipleship at all. The point of discipleship is I get, I get an opportunity to be like my pastor, to learn from him, to glean from him, to develop and see other men rise in ministry. That's a privilege. Don't, don't forsake that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that it, it's it's a it's a powerful thing, and 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 that's that's my point in teaching this lesson is not to, uh, you know, throw throw anybody under the bus. My point in teaching this lesson is that we can all start saying yes this morning. This morning in our church service, who who is missing that should be here? Who who can you take? out to lunch today after service what new convert can you can you pray for can you help follow up on you can ask our door director i, I want to start following up on people i want to start helping people i want to see people rise that, that's something we can all start doing but it begins with just simply saying yes because i know there are men here that have you haven't outwardly and vocalized it you haven't said you know no god up yours You've, through decisions, through mindsets, through distractions, you said no. But this morning we can change that. Somebody else? Yeah. I remember it was this time two years ago. I was talking to John Duff and I was trying to, I knew I was called, I was trying to make decisions for my future. Had to sign a contract with a college for another year. And I said, you know, I'm like, I need to know, like, should I do this or what should I do? I feel... You know, otherwise it's going to be a whole other year before I can come on staff. And John Duff looked at me and he said, it's not up to Pastor Greg or the, that, that's, it's up to you. And it, it was such a very bold claim and statement. But I begin to live my life with that approach to ministry. This is, this is between me and God. God is working things out and I'm going to orient my life and I'm going to make this the reality of my life because I know God has called me. And it, it, was, it was spot on. It was a heavy revelation. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, no, they, they decide. They make those choices. Um, but it is in response to what God is doing in your life and your response to God is saying yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, those, it's those, those private decisions, those moments of honesty where we come before God and say, God, I, what I'm going to do regardless of how long it takes, regardless of, of what happens, God, I'm going to obey you. Because that's what it comes down to. Because if you're not feeling it, and oh, bag prayer, bag reading my Bible, that, that, that wouldn't be a healthy attitude for a pastor out on the field to have, right? 
So you can develop those things today. Let them be, Pastor Jesse called them, a settled belief, a settled conviction. That's, that's what convictions are. It's a settled belief, I'm going to do this no matter what. We can all, we can all approach our lives that way. Somebody else, Micah. Yeah, so part of discipleship is we're not, we're not lone rangers for Jesus. Part of discipleship is, hey, I want to help you on your outreach. Hey, why don't we study together? Something uh, Anthony started doing when he was door director is started having just Bible studies at 6 in the morning. You probably went to a few of them, right? Uh, I, I could think of like a lot of sleep I could be having at 6 in the morning, you know. But he made the decision. Other men wanted to get involved with that, and it helped them. It helped them not only know more about the Scripture, more about the Bible, it probably even affected your life a little bit too. But you learn how to write sermons. You learn how to, you know, develop altar calls and thoughts and, you know, think biblically. So that's, that's just one example. But that's part, of, that's part of ministries. We are serving with one another, right? That, that, is, that, is, the, that is the whole point. We are... We are disciples together. Jesus, he sends the 70 out and it says he sent them out two by two. Two men working together to build the kingdom of God. Now extrapolate that for us. We have a, we have a lot of men here that have incredible potential. But it's not just us and Jesus. We're helping build each other up. That is the body of Christ. Because when you're out on the field and it's just you and your wife... You'll want the help of another pastor. You'll, you'll want the help of a, an impact team. And working together with other men, with other ministries, it's profound. And in doing that, it doesn't just bless the other people. It doesn't just bless the other disciples. It helps you. Because then it's like, oh, it's not all about me. It's not all about me just, I, I need to develop. I need to be better. I need to... It's, how can I help other people? Pastor Mitchell, uh, that, that was the profound thing about his ministry was he was able to build them up and give them opportunities to, to preach the gospel, to preach at conferences and healing crusades. And he said, anything you see these men do, you can do. He said, anything you see me do, you can do. And that's, that's part of discipleship. It's building another man's ministry. Good question. Anybody else? Daniel. You speak on the, <clears throat> just enlisting your wife to house on that yes mentality. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that, that can really hurt men is it's on again, off again. Conference comes around, we tell our wives, yeah, we're going we're gonna to preach the gospel, we're going to get sent out. And then it's like through your life, your decisions, your choices... It's, I didn't say no outright, but through your actions and decisions, it communicates no to your wife and your children. So then you're, you're hot, you're cold, you're hot, you're cold. When you come back to your wife after carnality for five or six months, conference passes, you want to go preach the gospel again. She's going to get embittered towards the ministry. She's going to resent you and not believe you. And so that's, that's part of it. And, and, Sometimes, as men, we could be like, well, I, I, would, I would go do something for God if my stinking wife would just get on board with it. 
But the reality is you're communicating certain things to your wife that, that do damage to your ministry. And she cannot be the, the sole person to be blamed for that. So bringing your wife along is you need to be consistent. You need to be consistent at church, consistent at home, in the way you speak about people. Sometimes we could, you know, leave Sunday morning service and before you have lunch, you have lunch on somebody else in church, right? The words speak to people, the, the attitudes we imbibe. Those are all, those are all things. But the, the point is you can bring your wife along in that calling because sometimes they don't hear from God the way you do. And it's like they're trusting you. You're the head of the house. You're trying to direct your family and guide your family. And I, I feel like the best way to do that is be consistent. Be a godly example to your wife and your children, right? They need to see you praying. They need to see you reading your Bible. Sometimes it's, it's you're sitting in the living room, you're doing this, and it's kids come into the room or wife comes into the room. It's like, put the phone away. My wife's going to yell at me again, right? Certain things that we can do that we hurt ourselves. Make God a priority. Your kids need to see that. Your wife needs to see that. So those are, those are ways you can bring your wife along. Those are ways you can really help build her confidence. And pray. I mean, as basic as that sounds, pray, God, give my wife a revelation the way you gave it to me. Speak to my wife. Give her a confidence that we can do this. Right? Because it's supernatural. The, the thing that we are involved in it's not a formula. It is absolutely supernatural. But it's possible. We're winning the world for Jesus and it happens with couples. Right? Behind every incredible ministry is a wife willing to support. So, yeah. Would it be okay to say that compromise is a lie? Like you're, you compromise, you're lying to yourself because we're so good at compromising. It's, it's easy. It's easy to compromise. Because we're not really saying no. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, it's self-deception. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, we're, we're deceiving ourselves that we're okay. But then your family could see that. It's true. And like what you said, you said... They I, see the most honest part of you. Yeah. Right? It's true. And, and that is whether we want that to happen or not. They, they, see you, they see you at your very worst and you're at your very best. In, in God's word, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yeah. So, be. so when we start to compromise, it, it really does hurt. Right. In a way, or eventually. Well, compromise, it always starts small and it starts innocent, but it always leads somewhere. That's the, that's the ultimate danger. If you compromise with, with something small, that's not going to send you to hell. How long before you start compromising with sin? How long before you start compromising and doing things and saying things and, and allowing certain things into your life that at one point you said, no, I will never do that. But that's where compromise leads. Or you wait. You wait for a long time. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Tony. When you uh, vocalize your yes to your pastor... <clears throat> What does that do in a pastor and what does that do in a disciple? Well, part of it for a disciple is you're going on record. 
you're identifying with your pastor saying, I want you to disciple me. I want you to uh, basically saying, I give you the right and the permission to speak into my life. And so if there are, you, you, have, you, have made, you have made it public, you want your pastor to disciple you. So if there are things that, that you're, you're lacking on that you need help with, your pastor will speak to those areas. Tony, I noticed that, you know, you want to be a disciple. You're not coming to prayer. You're not reading your Bible. You're, you're, you miss a lot of services, right? Those are areas I can speak into your life because you want to be a pastor. That would, it would be different for like a new convert. You work with them where, where they're at. So for a pastor, it's like I've got a certain vocabulary for certain people and a different vocabulary for other people. <clears throat> for me and my discipleship, I can remember at one point I am, I am the door director and I, am, I remember standing in the back there with, with Anthony and after service, we were just chatting, you know, laughing and, and punching each other or something. And Pastor Greg came up to me and said, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? He said, where are the new converts? Where are the visitors in church right now? He said, after every service, you go and hang out in your clique. You go and hang out with, with your, your group, your friends, and yet you miss the needs in the church. He said, if you want to be a pastor someday, you need to connect with visitors. You need to connect with new converts. And it was like, whoa, it's true. I'm going to be a pretty ineffective pastor if I can't connect with people, right? Pastor Greg could say that to me because I wanted him to disciple me. And that made impact. So it helps me and it helps pastor. Because then it's like, okay, good. There are some things we can work on now. There are things that we can identify that need help, right? The whole point of discipleship is your pastor is helping to prepare you for greater ministry. It's not just, ah, pastor's on my case again. It's like, no, he sees what you can become. It, and I can remember another, I'll tell on myself again, I screwed up an outreach one time and um, I forgot to schedule it. The thing was weird and, you know, it, it, was, it was a disaster and I can remember Pastor Greg telling me, he said, Stephen, today it's planning and outreach, but someday it's going to be people's lives. And it had to do with me actually following through on some instructions he gave me, but that was a powerful life lesson. It's like, that's right. It's, it's flyers or a microphone or an outreach equipment today, which seem minor and, and trivial, but... Soon it's going to be people's lives. They're going to depend on me. And that was like, that was heavy. But it, it went from my head to my heart and I understood it. It's like, okay, I get it now, right? So those are, those are the benefits of, of going to your pastor, going on record. I want to be discipled. I don't want to just be a, a stump in church and just hang out. I, I, want to, I want to grow and develop. I want my pastor to disciple me. That's, those, are, those are profound areas. They're life-changing. They were life-changing for me. Good question. Somebody else. Other questions? Thinking.
Yeah, yeah. Part of that is, is wisdom. You have to bring men along. Um, they can get discouraged. They can get disheartened. They can get distracted. So bringing them along is including them. Uh, another time I can remember I, I had just started uh, the discipleship process and I barely could barely tie a tie, could barely, you know, uh, I sat on the front row just because other guys were doing that. You know, it's sort of like, I don't know, I'm just sort of going along. But I remember Adam Porter, he invited me out. There was, there was three or four guys that he was working with at the time. And he's like, hey, you want to you just come out after a Sunday night service? Just come out for a burger? And like he included me. And it was like, he didn't understand how profound that was. Because I was sort of like, I'm on the outside. I'm not really, I'm not really good at and anything that has to do with discipleship yet. But he brought me along, I, and I, I was able to observe how he would speak to new converts and the things that he would say and interacting with them and, and making time for them and making time for me. And it was like, it was a, it was a really profound thing for me, and that, that made, that made a, a pretty big impact. The other thing, too, is one of, the, one of the things that Pastor Greg is so good at in inspiring men is he's able to show men what they can become seeing potential in another man. And, and that, is, that is critical. As a man of God, as a, a future pastor, you want to be able to inspire men where they're at. It's like, I see, you know, I see a man of God in you. That's what he told Delbert John. He tells the story of that. Delbert, there's a man of God in you. And it's like that, that causes men to rise. When your pastor believes in you, when he, when, he can, when he can challenge you and put something in front of you, and it's like, okay, I don't feel confident in doing that in of myself, but when my pastor believes in me, okay, I'm going to try. And also, men need to know that, that you're okay with things maybe not working 100%. If, if our expectation in ministry is that there are no mistakes and that it is 100% that uh, nothing should ever go wrong, uh, we're, we're setting ourselves up because life isn't like that. Things will go wrong. Things won't happen correctly. Things are going to get forgotten or misplaced. That's life. And communicating to your disciples, like this is, this is all part of the process. Let's learn the lesson. You know, you notice how the outreach, like we couldn't really hear things very well. Yeah, you forgot all the speakers. That's, you know, so next time, why don't, we, why don't we remember the speakers and, and, you know, people can hear what you're saying, right? And I'm using an extreme example, but part of it is you have to be able to inspire men. Pastor Mitchell would say, put it where they can catch it, right? Make it table. They have to, they have to be able to see it for themselves, that men can really do this. We can really reach the world for Jesus, you, personally, you guys can do this. It's, it's not impossible. It's not a lofty expectation. If you would just say yes, start with those small decisions, those small areas of obedience. And I listed a few, but maybe that's totally, what God is challenging you on is totally different than the things I mentioned. But that's the whole point, is the Holy Spirit's really good at that. He can challenge, He can, he can call you and, and help you to grow. So, anyway, any other questions real quick? Anything else? Yeah, one more. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the, in the beginning, you need to pray and read your Bible in some way every single day. If you're a disciple, that has to happen. Whether that is happening in here at 7 o'clock or whatever, you know, in some way you need to be able to ask your pastor questions. You know, start that process. And then the other, the other way, too, is pray, God, I want to be a disciple because I felt like you've called me. I need you to change my work schedule so it can accommodate me to be in prayer, to be involved in outreach and evangelism. See, your, your calling and your discipleship should not be sacrificed because of a work schedule. Now, obviously, I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and quit their jobs so they can be at morning prayer. But maybe have the conversation with your boss. Maybe put in for it. Maybe begin looking around. You know what? This job, it requires all my time in the mornings. It requires me on Wednesday nights and Sundays. It's not workable, right? That is, that's, that's the conversation. As a disciple, that's the conversation you need to, you need to have. But... In the most basic, you need to have a relationship with God's word and you need to communicate with God every single day in prayer. However, whatever that looks like. Very good. All right, great questions, guys. That's all I have.